Hello and welcome to Thronderdome, the podcast that asks, asks the question, can a, a 40-year-old man and a 34-year-old boy find common cause over a 31-year-old book? Uh, I am your host, Dr. Daniel Doughty. Uh, I'm called Dr. Daniel Doughty on this episode because I'm still sick, uh, and so I'm, I am my own doctor now. Uh, and with me, as always, is uh, my intrepid co-host, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you doing tonight? Well, I walked 10 miles, so I'm doing great. That That's incredible. That's like uh, that's like one one-hundredth of the miles the Proclaimers would walk for their love, for their, for their love. I, I unlocked a new little uh, badge on my uh, my steps app. I'm now a hiker. Oh, well, that, congratulations! Well, that's that's very good. Hey, spe- speaking of hiking, uh, it's time we hiked up our boots. That's yeah, a terrible segue. Uh, yeah, it's a terrible segue. But this is actually a pretty decent uh, selection of uh, of chapters. It really is. I I, I was I excitedly messaged you. I, I was reading it uh, a little ahead of you. And you were I, excited solely because there was no fucking Nogri planet in here. We went three whole chapters with no Nogri bullshit, and I was so thrilled. And really, we're just very excited to share that with all of you, our listeners. Uh, we're going to have to spend some time, like, probably at the end of this uh, season, just talking about the ill-fated decision to tie Princess Leia's fortunes to the Nogri race of, uh, of stupid Vader-masked idiots. It honestly, and that's a good idea that in our kind of like summing up thoughts uh, episode, I'll probably talk some more about this, but it feels almost misogynistic to do this to the one female headlining character. Uh, But we don't have to talk about that. And, oh, I say the one female headlining character. Uh, Excuse me. This episode is going to be chock full of Mara Jade. So, uh, Jade Heads out there, here is, this is your meat and potatoes. It, 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 it's almost as if you can tell that uh, the author is much more interested in one female character as opposed to the other female character. <laughs> it's, a, it's almost as if you can tell that uh, one science fiction writer guy has a, has a redhead thing, and he's not quite as interested in the other science fiction guy's small, a petite brunette thing. I will, this might be course, the first uh, podcast where you can actually hear someone die on the air. Well, the the audience will not have heard that because I am going to edit that out. But I, I just had a really awful. I know, but I wanted gag. to. I wanted to throw in a zinger anyway. Yeah, uh, you know, just yeah. for your own uh, edification. For my yeah, for my own. You know, thank you so much. Yeah, you know, little little jokes only you will get while editing. <laughs> you know, I've often heard that what really helps people heal is when their friends are snide about their uh, their suffering. That really helps people feel better, and I appreciate dude, you that, cannot right? call this suffering. You're not like. You're not fucking laid up with leukemia. You got like a fucking cold and you've got like baby ear infection. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. We did we did say that I would get croup next. Maybe I have croup. Are uh, you feeling colicky? I am feeling colicky. We better get to the recap or else I'm going to get extra yeah. colicky. All right. <laughs> and our listeners will definitely be getting colicky. Waiting for all this Mara Jade content. Speaking of which, chapter 19. We open with Mara Jade. Uh, piloting the Etherway down planet side to Taloncard's uh, hideout. And I don't believe the planet is specified uh, this time. Um, but a- as you'll recall, of course, the Etherway was the ta- one of Taloncard's smuggler ships that was impounded on Abrogado uh, by Finn Torv screwed it up and uh, back in Heir to the Empire in the first novel in the series. And Han Solo made good on his promise that the Republic would bail it out. So 
Uh, Mara Jade has picked it up. Of course, she was intercepted on her way to drop it off by uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn in the last episode. Uh, so uh, we open here. Mara is bringing the Aetherway down. Card, Talon Card, is nervously observing from the shadows in the landing pit because Mara is three days overdue, and he has a bad feeling about this. Uh, he's a little uneasy about Mara's loyalties, given her hatred of Luke Skywalker and how Talon Card, you know, helped him slip slip the leash back on Mirker. Uh, but he consoles himself with the fact that, hey, you know, Mara doesn't give her loyalty easily, so it's it's unlikely she's going to break faith once it's really given. So the Aether Way settles on the landing pad. Card radios a lookout to see if everything's on the up and up. He gets the all clear. The hatch opens and Mara steps out, immediately clocking Card in his shadowy hiding spot. So she calls out like, hey, Talon Card. Uh, they only have time for a brief exchange of greetings before Card's comlink squeals with electronic jamming and a strike force of TIE Fighters strafes the landing pits. Instantly, instantly the Empire is on top of them. Stormtroopers rappel down the walls of the pit and quickly apprehend Talon Card and carry him off to a dropship, which is landed right beside the Aetherway in the landing pit. Uh, Card feels quite chagrined at having been taken in by Mara Jade when it becomes clear to him that apparently she never gave up her Imperial loyalties. There's a weird, uh, there's a weird uh, digression where he's he kind of reacts to Mara Jade's betrayal the way Jim Varney's character in The Simpsons reacts when uh, when The Simpsons win the house back from him. Where it's oh, like, right. Yeah. Well, I was beaten by the best. No shame in being beaten by the best. Yeah, he he does it kind of take it in kind of uh, philosophical. Like he's not way. angry at Mara Jade. He's just feeling foolish that he uh, was fooled so easily and so thoroughly. Yeah, and yeah. A strange regret that he had lost such a skilled associate. So even then, it's like, well, I, I'm I'm really sad that uh, she won't be mixing up with Chin and the other guys. <laughs> More important than like the fact that he's now in Imperial custody and is about to be tortured by a droid. Yes, yes. Uh, there was another thing I wanted in this first little bit that uh, actually the first paragraph of this chapter that. Jumped out at me, and Ronnie, I'm going to ask you if this is kind of too nitpicky of me, or if this really is an instance where an editor needed to say something about this. But it jumped out at me, because there, there are two sentences in a row, well, actually make that four sentences in a row, where there's a sentence that has, uh, it's like a compound sentence, so it has uh, like a subjunctive clause. Uh, Mara was over three days late in bringing the freighter back from Abrogado. Not a particularly significant delay under normal conditions, but this trip had hardly qualified as normal. But there had been no other ships on her tail. It starts a new sentence with but right after a compound sentence with the, with the clause starting but. And then, like, just a little later, there's another compound. But there had been no other ships on her tail. And she had transmitted all the proper all-clear code signals to him. And aside from the incompetence of the controllers who take an inordinate amount of time, blah, blah, blah. That just felt really clumsy and weird to see. <laughs> like, because you could, if you just made the periods commas, you could just have a, a run-on compound sentence, but instead, like, it's, it's just kind of broken up into several... It's just one... It's just one conjunctive clause after another. It's just really weird. I feel like that's... If you're asking me if I think that uh, Dark Force Rising could have uh, used another pass, I would say that that applies to the entire book, not just this <laughs> chapter. Okay, so I'm not just being... Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I'm not just being uh, persnickety. It didn't. It didn't. Uh, 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 it didn't uh, strike me uh, when I when I first read it. But now that you bring it up, yeah, it seems pretty jarring. It's just. It's just really clumsy. 
it does it does feel like he wrote that that paragraph and never looked at it again um but hey that's just you know that's 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 timothy zahn he's like william faulkner that way he's just uh it's just kind of like a stream of consciousness kind of writing um well i while i was at the zoo today i spent like a good 10 minutes just wondering about Timothy Zahn as I want to do. <laughs> and I was thinking like, what's like the height of being like a sci-fi uh, writer? And I'm thinking like, it's probably getting two meal vouchers a day at a comic book convention of your choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the height of stardom. And, and you know, and you know, like just the pho place you're going to cash him in at, you know, like you're really looking forward to it. <laughs> that, hey, that would be pretty good, you know? Uh, but, uh, after that, uh, the, the encounter at the, the landing pits there, we, we start a new scene with Mara Jade directly confronting, angrily confronting Grand Admiral Thrawn in the shuttle bay of the Star Destroyer Chimera. I guess she had, she had been apprehended as well. Eight days, Thrawn, she snarled. You gave me eight days. You promised me eight days. To which Thrawn replies, I changed my mind <laughs> and explains... That he uh, considered the possibility that Card might ditch Mara uh, for even suggesting the deal, so he would lose his only his uh, one of his leads on the Katana fleet, or as far as Mara knows, his only lead on the Katana fleet. Uh, so uh, he decides. Mara Jade to... has a has a strange line after this, where she says, "The gates of hell, you did," and I think this is the first canonical uh, confirmation that hell exists in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, Gates of Hell, you did. So they they do believe in hell, there in Star Wars or or in some some. And era. and it's like even more specific than like saying like go to hell or I'll see you in hell. Like now it's established that hell has gates. Yes, it's like the pearly gates, but hellish. Uh, but uh, also there there's a there's a a real uh, real uh, uh, egregious use of the f word in in uh, in Ooh. this next uh, bit where. Yeah, because Thrawn says, and it got us what we wanted. The red-eyed freak said smoothly, "It's like, okay, you're not writing from Mara Jade's perspective. You right. can't like just call Thrawn a red-eyed freak." That's <laughs> I that jumped out at me as well, and I yeah, I think it must be like that, what like, next? You're gonna call him a blue-skinned bastard? Yeah, yeah. It does seem like maybe like you know Zahn was in Zahn's head. He was writing. Like Mara is the the point of view character, I guess, for these scenes, but he's still writing an omniscient third person. It's really it was an odd choice. Also, I really like the idea that someone in the Star Wars universe, like they've seen all sorts of shit, but like a guy with red eyes is like way cross- beyond them. That crosses the line. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, like fucking Jabba the Hutt and Salacious Crumb. They're just normal dudes, but a fucking dude with red eyes. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's a uh, that's a little too far afield, and it's actually that that little line, and it got us what we wanted. The red-eyed freak said smoothly, "That's all that matters." That Mara snaps, and she ignores the stormtrooper staying just beside her, and physically hurls herself at Thrawn, like lunges at him, but is instantly taken down in a chokehold by Rook, the Nogri bodyguard. Um, Thrawn kind of regards her with amusement as she relaxes, and Rook lets up. He kind of, kind of. Quips, very unprofessional of you, Emperor's hand, which sets her off again. And this time she tries to use the Vader force choke on Admiral Thrawn, which, which, uh, I, I, I think you're right that this, this chapter or this part of the chapter is supposed to be written from Marjade's perspective because why else would 
the chapter refer to Rock as the Nogri bodyguard as opposed to his name. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Thrawn's because she doesn't know yeah. Ruck's name, but we do, and but it's we do. Just weird. It's a kind, of, yeah. It's a kind of like first person inflected third person narration. That's a little odd. It's an odd choice. Um, that that sort of shit is above Zahn's pay grade. <laughs> He's not, he, he doesn't have to pay attention to this stuff. Okay. Uh, now this does lead to what I thought was an actually cool character moment for Thrawn, um, because rather than have Rook tackle her again as he starts feeling, you know, kind of the, the the pressure, the fingers kind of clasping on his throat. Rather than having Rook tackle Mara again, he just stares down Mara Jade and just fights against it with his own throat muscles. Like he's flexing back at her as she tries to choke him out using uh, her force powers, which end up being just too feeble to really pull it off. Um, a little trick the Emperor I I spent more time than I care to admit thinking about like, how did Thrawn train his throat muscles to be that strong? Uh, you know, he's just used to clenching his jaw, I guess, you know? He's kind of working that way. Or, you know, other things that are probably not appropriate for this podcast. I would not think they are. This is a family, this is a fucking family podcast, Ronnie. You, you, better, yeah. you better goddamn remember that. Hell damn ass family Locker podcast. room talk for, for Thronderdome After Dark, our sidecast. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, but they have a little kind of like uh, a back and forth that's like, oh, a little trick the Emperor taught you. And, uh, and Mara says, he taught me a great many tricks. How to deal with that's traitors. A, that's a was bad response. That's a bad response. Like, oh, that's a little trick. Oh, yeah, he taught me a lot of little tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was is how to deal with traitors was one of them. And... Uh, Again, like I'm not sure what Mar was hoping to have with that, but of course Thrawn throws back, like, look, I, I rule the Empire now, okay? The, the Emperor is dead. The only treason that can happen here is defiance of, of me. So, all right, let's not... But it's a, he's pretty magnanimous because he says, I'm, I am willing to let you come back to your rightful place in the Empire as first officer, perhaps, of one of the Katana Dreadnoughts. But further outbursts like this one, and that offer will be summarily withdrawn. Uh, and then Mara's like, oh yeah, and you'll kill me. But then he says, uh, no, no, I will send you to Master Kabaoth. And so Something Mara... worse. Forcing a woman to spend time with an old man. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but Mara asks who that is, so Thrawn explains he's a mad Jedi Master who has agreed to help their war effort in exchange for Jedi to mold, and that Luke Skywalker is already in his clutches. Well, that's a key piece of information there. Uh, Mara agrees to settle down, and Thrawn informs her that the, the deal for the rest of Card's people is, is still on. So all the search and detain orders have been canceled. They're no longer hunting down Card's organization, just they only want Talon. Uh, but Card himself will have to remain on the Chimera until he div- divulges the location of the Katana fleet. And Thrawn dismisses Mara and tells her the, uh, the, the deck officer will arrange for a shuttle to take her back to the planet's surface. Um, which I was a little confused about this, like why is... Thrawn letting her go back. Like, why isn't she just now on, like, the Empire Squad or whatever? Like, where, where's what's she I'm, supposed to do? I'm, like, having a Kaiser Soze moment with thinking about Joris Kabeos because, like, if you think about it, he's part of a centuries-old order in which he dresses uh, very theatrically and he is obsessed with uh, with procuring children. Now, yeah. does that remind you of anything? Well, yeah. Timothy I mean, Zahn predicted the Catholic sex abuse crisis. <laughs> or maybe this maybe this was his uh, 
maybe this was his way of trying to warn everyone about Jimmy Savile. Maybe, or maybe this is like his like uh, his way of dealing with his own uh, childhood abuse. Mm, perhaps so. There's layers and layers. Um, anyway, uh, Mara... yeah, so I have a note that's like you know was Zon molested? Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> I we might be reading too much into this, but as, or maybe not enough. Or, or I don't know. Enough. It's a very rich text. You know, there's 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 a lot that's in there. Uh, so Mara is kind of left stunned. But, by but, this. but, but more to your point before I, uh, you know, threw it in the gutter, like I, I, I also questioned why she's just allowed to like go on her own. Yeah. Like she's proven that she's not, you know, 100% reliable and it's just, she just like tried she has, to kill him. She just tried to kill him. She's not, it doesn't have like some task to go perform for him. It's, it was just, it's just weird. Um, I don't know. It, I, I, it, it feels like a plot hole, but Timothy Zahn knows better than me, so you know, I'm going to trust him. Uh, so uh, on her way, you know, she's 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 actually even like left without like a stormtrooper escort. They just kind of like let her go. Um, so she's stung. She's thinking now that the uh, the Empire of old is truly dead. If uh, if whoever's leading it now would would so basely betray her, which again is kind of a funny. Whatever she thought the Empire was, I, that's just pretty funny. Um, but uh, it's, it's not like the... really, really a situation where it's like the Emperor was nice to me. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, the Emperor was really nice to me. Um, uh, it's like that well, story you, you story you read about uh, Hitler's last secretary and how like she was racked with guilt the rest of her life because it would have been impossible for her to find things out, but she remained blissfully ignorant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I guess in Mara Jade's case, she did find out, and she's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's good. We gotta keep doing that. Um, but as, as this podcast is also a somehow a relitigation of 2016, I want to point out that Mara Jade maps perfectly to the uh, archetype of the never-Trump Republican. Oh, yeah, you're right. Remember when the National Review put out that issue that was just against Thrawn? It was like twelve uh, essays by like Rich Lowry and Jonah Goldberg and and uh, Gleep Glop. Oh yes, I, I I do remember. Yeah, I think uh, Yakface had a very uh, trenchant insight in that uh, that issue. Uh, too bad no one no one cared about National Review at all. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of funny just reading like yeah how how dare this new usurper who. No, it's, it definitely has nothing to do with race. I mean, some of my best friends are are racist. Uh, uh, <laughs> how dare this usurper take over this empire that I loved and and destroy the proud tradition of William F. Buckley and and uh, William <laughs> Sapphire and and uh, and Darth Plagueis? Yeah. So how how dare this uh, this interloper take over the uh, the storied and honorable party of such luminaries as Dennis Hastert? Or uh, yeah. or uh, Mark Foley, <laughs> but she's also uh, she's also concerned with Talon Card, and she tries to uh, to to convince uh, Thrawn to, to let her see him, but he says like, no, uh, keeping him in solitary is actually a psychological tactic to make him uh, more pliable to talk. And then we also find out that uh, like uh, the way they interrogate uh, people is via droid, which I think is really impersonal. <laughs> it's so clinical. Where's the heart? You know? 
Yeah, like fucking take <laughs> take a guy's teeth out yourself, dude. Don't you don't use a droid. Yeah, yeah. Don't wash your hands with a droid. Is that how yeah. they like uh, circumvent like human rights laws? Like, well, isn't a, isn't a, 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 a alien doing it or, or a human doing it? It's a, it's a it's a droid. They don't follow the rules. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how police departments are going to do it with those stupid robot dogs. I'm just thinking of an R2-D2 unit uh, just to interrogating a, a drug dealer. He's just using his little taser. That'd be pretty good. Just, oh, man. Just increasingly louder beeps and boops as he's... <laughs> As he's torturing this guy, <laughs> like he pops up in one of his uh, one of his little compartments, and a uh, and his uh, his phone book arm comes out and starts smacking him around. Listeners, if you think that this R two D two talk comes out of nowhere, he actually does play a pivotal role in this uh, segment of chapters. This is true, but but later on, for now, Mara cleverly uh, sort of takes the long way to go over to the deck officer to get on her shuttle and finds an unattended computer terminal. And uses her old Emperor's Hand backdoor codes to circumvent the routers and bypass the encryptions to access the Chimera's uh, computer base databases. So she gets the prisoner files and also the ship's itinerary for the next few days. And she also searches up the location of Joris Kabeoth because, of course, she knows that's where Luke Skywalker is. I guess we should say she has resolved that she's going to break Callan Card out of space jail. Uh, but there's only one person... Who possesses the ability and who would owe Card a favor to do this? Han Sky- Solo. It's Han Solo. No, it's Luke Skywalker. So she's going to find Luke uh, Skywalker okay. by finding Joris Kabeoth. Um, so she wraps this up just in time to run into the deck officer and bluffs her way into uh, being like, oh, yeah, I was just looking for you. <laughs> and so she gets that shuttle planet side. So as, the, as this Imperial shuttle lifts off from dropping her off on that same landing pit, Mara calls out for Aves. Uh, figuring he must be there observing, uh, who has a blaster trained on her and orders her to disarm. All of Card's crew assume that she sold them out, uh, but she's going to prove herself by springing Card. So all she needs is a ship and an Asalamiri, because, uh, of course, Card's people keep the keep that thing on them. They also have a Asalamiri that they take with them. And Aves reluctantly agrees. So two hours later, she was in a skip-ray blast boat off to find the one man who can help her. Luke freaking Skywalker, and here and the and the the uh, the rhyming is not lost on her or on Zahn that uh, it feels like you know only yesterday she was chasing after Luke Skywalker in a skip ray blast boat across the forests of Mirkur, but here she is gonna go find him. Uh, and that, and that, I like how much time Mara Jade spends on like being concerned that uh, her friends that will think she betrayed them and it's like, well, you did betray them. Right, you actually, you literally did betray them. You you were going to like play it, you're gonna play the angles on it, but you literally did like betray like yeah, you're dealing with the empire behind their back. Like that is a betrayal. Like oh, there's a segment where there's a segment of the chapter where she worries that like uh, Talon Card might die thinking that she betrayed. It's like well, you did betray him. Yeah, it was part of a larger plan, which you would get the death mark off of him and get like three million credits. But that would also involve like stealing Bernie Sanders's uh, dreadnoughts or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, and and you did also betray that he knows where the katana fleet is, the secret that he trusted you with. You gave it up. <laughs> like you actually did betray him. But she's gonna make. Good I think it's it. a combination of like a a complicated character and also like not great writing. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I, which is the special... That's the special sauce that keeps us coming back to Timothy Zahn. Um, but things but, get really good in Chapter 20, I gotta chapter, say. Chapter 20 is another stone classic of the story of now an we're adult... With gas. An adult old man and his stupid pupil <laughs> as we... As we join uh, Joris Kabaoth holding court in the village on Jomark, uh, and then sort of as he is taking on Lucas's apprentice, you know he's he's been he's been listening to villagers bring their disputes forward, and he ma- makes his judgments. And then Kabaoth uh, said, "Like uh, uh, Jedi Skywalker, the final case of the evening is yours." And then uh, in a in a wonderful bit of description, I'll just read the paragraph here. Yes, Master Kabeoth, Luke said, bracing himself as he stepped over and gingerly sat down. Oh, take a drink, gingerly. Uh, Timothy Zahn's favorite uh, adverb. I, I, I looked it up, I did the search in the ebooks. It is used eight or nine times in this book, and a further ten or twelve times in Heir to the Empire. That's actually something Jesus I remembered. Christ. That's something I remembered from reading these as a kid. I remember thinking, wow, Timothy Zahn loves to use that word. Uh so anyway, Luke gingerly sat down. It was, to his mind, a thoroughly uncomfortable chair. Too warm, too large, and far too ornate. Even more than the rest of Kabaoth's home, it had an alien smell to it, and a, distur- a strangely disturbing aura that Luke could only assume was a lingering after-effect of the hours the Jedi Master had spent in it, judging his people. So Luke is sitting in the chair with old man stink all over it. I was about basically. to say, did you ever think that you'd be in a crossroads in your life where you're reading a Star Wars book in which... The author is describing uh, Luke Skywalker reacting to old man stink. <laughs> I sure didn't. I didn't. I didn't have that. Uh, I know that was not part of my vision for how my life would go. But I'm happy it's gone that way. Uh, so Luke takes on the case of. Uh, so we have another case. A couple of villagers, a couple of shit kickers. Uh, one person's livestock got through the second person's fence and started eating their fruit bushes. Uh, so the second person was upset, but the first person argues that if the fence had been properly kept up, none of this ever would have happened. So Luke decides that peasant one will pay the damages for the fruit bushes, but that peasant two will have to abide by what the village council says regarding his fence. Uh, Kabaoth is just radiating disapproval. Uh, and Luke says that he'll inspect the fence himself the next morning to get an idea of, you know, just how unkempt, you know, just, just how dilapidated was it. Um, Kabayoth closes the session and clears his throat theatrically after the room clears. I sometimes wonder, Jedi Skywalker, whether or not you have really been listening to me these past few days. Which is a very funny... And Luke Sauer says, I'm sorry. (laughs) I want to know why the fuck ruling a planet is is synonymous with running a small claims court. uh, This is some Judge Judy bullshit. It is. Well, that's what Kabayoth loves. He likes to get his hands dirty in the minutiae of everyone's shit, you know. Uh, Luke says he's sorry, but... So, like, what, is the solution for the, for this character is, like, at the end of the book, they're going to give him a TV show, and he's going to be, like, on in between Judge Judy and Judge Joe Brown? Honestly, that would not be a bad way to kind of humanely deal with him, is to, like... And put... then it's, like, that makes make you think about, like, Jedi as a whole, is, like, are they just TV judges? Or... Do they have a higher purpose than uh, educating relatively minor uh, personal squabbles between uh, two two or more people who are probably drunk at the time? <laughs> well, we'll get to what Kabeoth thinks the grand role of the Jedi Order is. He's gonna he's gonna explain that. 
Um, he's going to do a lot of things in this chapter he and is. the next. Yes. Uh, Luke says he's sorry. Kabayoth lays into him about how everything he needed to pass judgment was already there. There's no need for this kind of hemming and hawing when you can just read people's minds. You know, Luke is a bit taken aback, but uh, Kabayoth chides him for being so naive. Is it, oh, you mean you've never violated someone's personal preference in order to help them? Or ignored some minor bureaucratic rule that stood between you and what needed to be done? And Luke sheepishly remembered how he got the slicer codes to get his X-Wing fixed faster. Uh, but Luke counters that it seems that, like... That's some Ned Flanders bullshit. That's it really, like it really him, having the, him having the the uh, the schnapps and saying Ann Landers is a boring old biddy. But it's, it's enough to get Luke thinking and ashamed. But Luke counters that it does seem like they're taking uh, more responsibility for these people's lives than he should. So Kabayoth takes the opportunity to... Kind of, he kind of lays out his animating ideology. Uh, it is only if and when the Jedi accept and wield responsibility over the primitives of the galaxy that they can ever hope to achieve real maturity, which uh, Kabayoth defines as the understanding and use of the Force. He uses this word maturity a lot, and to him it just means like a, a comprehensive utilizing of the Force. Yeah. He dreamily talks of the days when the Jedi Order enforced civilization on the galaxy, but in return the galaxy destroyed them. In Kabayoth's understanding, it was not just the Emperor who exterminated the Jedi, but all of those resentful lesser beings who hated the Jedi for their power and their wisdom. Uh, Luke kind of morosely takes this all in as his mind is, is too sluggish and his body too fatigued to really fight it. Uh, and apparently, well, he, has a, he has a bit where he says something to the effect of like, well, this doesn't sound correct, but I, I didn't live through this period, so I don't know for sure. And it's like, yeah, tattooing education system is probably pretty poor. Well, that's probably a bit of a... Well, also, I mean, the Empire probably has, like, a bit of a lost cause uh, curriculum, if you know what I mean. Like... I don't know, I mean... <laughs> like, the, the Empire wasn't really it, about it, Palpatine. It goes back so. to, like, how ill-defined, like, the uh, the end of the Old Republic start of the Empire period is, which, yeah, as we've established before, has been about 20 years. Right, right. It's and, uh, apparently long enough for like Han Solo to become agnostic about the idea of the Force and Jedi existing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Luke Luke does remark that he's never experienced such hatred from non-Jedi. But Kabayos insists, oh no, no, it's there. They're all just waiting, waiting for their chance to destroy us all over again. Uh, Luke demures when Kabayos Ka- says... Kabayos becomes Magneto for like this chapter. Yeah, yeah, he really does. It's really, it's pretty striking. Like this... Which kind of comes out of nowhere. This has not really come up before. Um, but, you know... Kabayoth has the insane line of, like, do you believe that even the Emperor could have succeeded in such a task without the consent of the entire galaxy? It's like... Well, yes, that's how, like... That's, <laughs> that's how, how expansionary empires are. Yeah. They don't have... They, I mean, that's the whole... That's the whole purpose of the Empire. They, they don't have consent of the galaxy to be ruled by... Right, yeah. Like again, you just have it's to, just crazy old man talk. You just have to have take enough, your pills, Grandpa. You just have to have enough buy-in for people to like look the other way. They don't have to actively support it. They just have to not stand in your way. Um, also, funny line out of context where he says, "Waiting only for the Jedi to reemerge to blaze up again." Hell yeah! Four twenty. Four twenty, baby. You know I would love to get uh, get get smoked up with Kit Fisto. That guy. I just imagine, like, a couple months from now, like, it's 3 a.m. and you just call me and it's like, 
dude, did you read the did you read the chapters of the the, the new Thrawn book? Weed exists, dude. <laughs> Space weed, bro. Hey, we know Tabak exists, so why not whack Tabak? You know? Uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, so they, they kind of have a little more of this, uh, this kind of bullshit going around. Um, you know, universe that hates and fears us. Blah, blah, blah. Luke, Luke demures when Cabal says only he can keep Leia and her children safe. Um, but you know, Luke is kind of starting to push back against that. But then Cabal has one of his little episodes staring off into space. And then when he I steps, do like, I do like when he goes back just to, just to, uh, Luke, uh, Luke flashes images of uh, Master Yoda, gruff but unafraid, with no trace of bitterness or anger toward anyone at the destruction of his fellow Jedi. Like, for one, Yoda was clearly insane. Yes. And he was a hermit. And then he goes, images of Ben Kenobi in the Mos Eisley Katina, treated with a sort of aloof respect, but respect nonetheless after he'd been forced to cut down those two troublemakers. Like, yeah... yeah. Ben Kenobi sure did get away with killing those two guys. Well, even, like, yeah, probably at least chopping one guy's arm off, which does seem like a kind of overreaction. But, you know, people did respect him, I guess. Uh, I mean, it is a bar, so they probably see a lot of shit. Yeah, that kind of shit happens all the time. You know, they get, you got arms Like, if legs. I had a nickel for every time I've been to a bar and someone's gotten their arm cut off, I'd have, like, five nickels. Yeah, exactly. Least. Exactly. Uh, so, as you were saying... Oh, uh, he, he snaps two from his little reverie and tells Luke to go to bed. <laughs> and that's the end of the section. Uh, but then we have a, uh, a new section of, uh, we cut back to Mara who, uh, n- and now we have, uh, here's, here's a, a little section starting with Mara waking up, but she's having a dream about the emperor dying. Um, you know, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are killing him and she can't interrupt them. And, uh, and he's dying and his voice shouts, you will kill this, Luke This is where Skywalker. we find out that Mara Jade was in like the outside the frame of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, if, if the camera had just gone a little bit to the left, you would have seen Mara Jade totally. And she Definitely. was here going, oh no! You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, 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 we're having a great time. My friends are just out, uh, you know, just outside of frame. Um, the Emperor's dying, his voice shouts, you will kill Luke Skywalker, and she startles awake in the cockpit of the Skip Ray blast boat. Uh, this is apparently a recurring dream she's been having uh, ever since the Battle of Endor. And she reflects on the fact that she's on her way to ask Luke Skywalker for help instead of killing him, which makes the bile rise in her gorge. <laughs> it literally talks about bitter bile at the back of her throat. Uh, but a little alarm is going off, it's dinging, she's made it to Jomark, and so drops out of hyperspace and is homing in on an Imperial beacon to find Cabeos' location. And she begins her atmospheric entry procedures, but then the next thing she knows, she's waking up from having blacked out. The ship is rolling out of control, deep in the atmosphere, but it hasn't switched over to the hover stuff, as it should have by now. So she switches from the main drive to the repulsors, all while fighting an intense lethargy that's come over her. After leveling the ship off, she goes back to the cargo storage area to get the Asalamiri out. And as soon as she's within kind of the range of the Asalamiri, she feels alert and energetic, you know, once again. Uh, just, you know, so Kabaoth has a kind of just depressive effect around the planet, I guess, for anyone who's, uh, for anyone who's approaching. Uh, but after getting herself together, the ship is shaken. Well, it's like being around an actual old man. 
You just yes, surprised. It, it is like being around an actual uh, an elderly person who's experiencing neurodegenerative symptoms, and it, it can be it can it can be draining. It can be depressing. Um, but uh, after getting herself together, the ship is then shaken by three or four impacts before Mara realizes that's being pelted with with like boulders being flung at high speed, and one of those just knocked out her dang repulsor lifts. The end of chapter. Yeah, I kind of glazed over this whole thing because it's like obviously. Kabath is just throwing a bunch of rocks at, at Marjade to get her to like die. To get her to die, yeah. Um yeah, there there's there's a whole rigmarole about crash landing the ship. But, or, but you about... talk about gingerly being overused. I yeah. this is at least the second time Zahn has used the phrase mentally crossing their fingers. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> you know what? Let's do this live on air. I'm gonna search for mentally crossing fingers. Let's see. Let me search for crossing. Yeah, just search for mentally crossing. Mentally crossing. Here we go. Because I know that I've read it before. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. Uh, All right. How, what is your, what is your guess for how many times it's used in just Dark Force Rising? Is this uh, like Price is Right rules? You got to like closest without going over. Yeah, closest without going over. What's your, what's your, what you got? Four times. Uh, It is six times. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> he really thought he had something there, doesn't he? That is so good. Oh, man. Well, you know, it's like uh, it's like a Homeric uh, metaphor, right? You know, like how he uses Wine Dark Sea a few times in the Odyssey. You know, this is classic stuff. Classic stuff. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I kind of... There's a, there's a bunch of rigmarole about uh, Mara. Like, she's going to have to put down an emergency landing... Just all the ship stuff I can't really care about. I don't really go I'm, in for I'm, it either. I'm here for I'm here for Joris Kabeath like losing his mind. Exactly. And and uh, uh, and, and fucking with a, a naive farm boy who doesn't really know whether or not Daddy's hat is on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh so but Mara has to make it she she sort of feigns that she's crashing to get him to stop throwing rocks at her. And then she has to pull off uh, this delicate maneuver to land in a like a hollowed out kind of big cave in the side of the the mountain where the the lake and the castle are on top. Um, but she manages to do it. The landing skids are all fucked, but everything else is in good shape. So she'll be able to take off again at whatever point. Uh, so Mara straps the Salamiri to her back and hops out, ready to make the fifty meter climb. From that little, from that ledge cave she found up to the up to the top, where she can you know get up there, uh, but before she can make any progress, she's blinded by bright lights and has to drop down onto back down to the top of the skip ray and kind of pulls her blaster out, ready to go. But while she's letting her dazzled vision clear, she hears the warbling of an R two unit. It's R two D two piloting Luke's X wing, hovering by the mountainside and having just turned on its high beams. I guess, and uh, and start, you know, kind of just blinding uh, Mara Jade for a second. Um, Here's something. Uh, how do you do an electronic warble that's dripping with sarcasm? Uh, I have no clue. Yeah, there's nothing. I don't, I cannot do that. Like, I know that they have, a, uh, like, Star Wars writers in general have a limited palette in which to uh, have R2-D2 express himself, but it's like, I don't really think you can, like, take sarcasm out of, you know, beep boop. Well, maybe if it had, like, a little, like, you know, sass to it, like, beep boop, beep boop, something like that. Uh, like a fucking Chandler Bing, beep boop, 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 boop. 
<laughs> Could I boop any more bleep? <laughs> right. Oh God. <laughs> so 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 uh, Mara and R two have a little back and forth. Uh, she talks it out with them, letting her uh, letting the droid know that she's there to warn Luke that Kabayoth works for the Empire and she needs his help to rescue Talon Card, whom Luke owes a favor after all. Uh, so R2 is convinced enough to offer Mara a ride by uh, letting her cling onto one of the X-Wing's extended landing skids. They ease their way back up, hover back up, and R2 sets the X-Wing down next to the next to the mansion, and Mara sees a cloaked man standing beside the fence around the mansion. You must be Kabayoth. You always greet visitors this way? I have no visitors except lackeys from Grand Admiral Thrawn. All others are by definition intruders. So he's being all. There is an interesting uh, ch- uh, uh, sense where she says, uh, "You know, she has this feeling of deja vu." The Emperor looked much the same way that night when he'd first chosen her from her home, and that suggests a lot of backstory about, like, oh yeah, I guess like those stories you hear about, like uh, slavers that take uh, like Romanian teenagers from their homes, right? Yeah, the. Sex the, the, slavery, or also the uh, the Janissaries, you know the the classic Ottoman military force. Those were uh, you, the uh, the the Sultan's uh, soldiers would go into Christian villages and just pick the biggest kids to then whisk them away to be trained as the 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 Sultan's soldiers. Yeah, and I have to imagine that there's going to be a, a part of like either this book or next book where Mara Jade has to like unequivocally say she didn't do any of that stuff with the Emperor. It was Emperor's hand was a metaphor. <laughs> it wasn't the Emperor's handy. All right, everybody. Because I mean, you can't dismiss like the strong sexual undercurrent with this, right? Being selected and the, the Emperor, and 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 wearing fancy ball gowns to to ribbon cuttings and all that. It does seem kind of, and and the fact that everyone like was supposed to presume that that's what she was. Yeah, you know? it's like yeah. You're not a cocktail waitress. You're actually a fucking ninja. Exactly. But <laughs> uh, she, uh, he. So it turns out that uh, Kabayoth pretty much just read her mind while she was approaching the planet. So there's no talking her way out of this one. She cops to having come to ask Luke to go with her to help her. They have a little bit of a back and forth, and Mara eventually just trains her blaster on the old crackpot, uh, which does seem to threaten him. He does sort of respond to that, like, "Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! All right, let's not." Uh, Let's not fly off the handle. Um, but Luke Marjorie arrives... definitely seems to have like a an old man fetish because she's getting more and more flashbacks to like the emperors. Because like listen yeah. to the way she describes like uh, there is far more to the man than just that. There is a hard steel behind the voice, ruthless and calculating, with the sense of both the supreme power and supreme confidence underlying it all. It was like hearing the emperor speak again. Oh yeah. Like she, she's kind of she's, she's kind of hot it. for Joris. She uh, she wants to be topped by a, an old degenerated man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Listeners, remember, remember. Uh, I think this should have been. Uh, we should have established this at the jump. Uh, rule number one of uh, of, uh, of 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 uh, sci-fi writing: sci-fi writers are all sickos. They're all sickos in in different ways, but you can rest assured every science fiction writer is a sicko of some uh, of some. They're they're stripe. like they're like a, a snowflakes of perversion. Everyone is different. 
<laughs> Even, uh, or rather, especially a lot of the big names, like uh, one of my favorites, Robert Silverberg, who's a really fascinating writer whose uh, career kind of bridges the golden age of the 40s and 50s with the new wave of the 60s and 70s. And he kind of, his own career kind of mirrored that development in the genre. Uh, he made most of his money as a writer from the erotic novels that he also wrote uh, under a pen name. All he did was change the he he all he did was change the title and and removed uh, the word space from his uh, from his book. Yeah, he just turned him right around. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the same same. Just like uh, you just relabel you know your your sci fi novel into an erotic novel and vice versa. It <laughs> it's, just it's... it just involves like adding or subtracting the word space. Yeah, it's just swapping out the trim. Uh, oh, that sounded gross in this context <laughs> anyway i'm here uh, to fix the space cable uh luke luke arrives around this time saying in, a, in just a perfect luke way i felt a disturbance in the force as if a battle were taking place nearby hello mara <laughs> it's literally hello mara uh mara manages to get out that she's not here to kill him but needs his help to spring card from space jail Luke asks Kabaoth what happened here and whether Mara had attacked him or threatened him. But the best Kabaoth has is that she's, she's one of them. She's one of the normies who hates and resents us. So the threat is implicit. No, Master Kabaoth. Surely you must understand that uh, the means are no less important than the ends. A Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never for attack, says Luke. And Kabaoth immediately shoots back. Is that a, true? A platitude for the simple-minded. Uh, I think that's like, that's what like Obi-Wan Kenobi would say. Uh, but of course it's always like, you know, that's, that's what, uh. Sadly, I'm just thinking about those stupid, uh, prequels where they seem to like attack things all the time. Uh, yeah, but that's preemptive attack. Like, uh, like the, the good thing that the United States does. Oh yeah. Like Iraq and Afghanistan. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when good guys do it, it's fine. But anyway, it's immaterial because the, the prequels have never happened. Uh, this is not in continuity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> prequels never happen. Um, Remember, the only things that happened uh, uh, is the original Star Wars trilogy, the Ewok movies, the holiday special, and these books. That's right. Um, we're but, we're uh, operating uh, under that assumption. But with, uh, with Kabayoth kind of snorting at Luke, saying like, no, this is what the Force is about. Uh, that does seem to be Luke's true breaking point. He, he, he walks toward Mara, and as soon as he enters the Salamiri's range, he feels that fatigue lift, that brain fog lift, and he realizes that Kabaoth has been treacherously sandbagging him. Is this how you would heal the galaxy, Master Kabaoth, he asked, by coercion and deceit? Uh, but Kabaoth roars with laughter at that, and as Luke and Mara are a little stunned, he goes ahead and strikes. Using the force, he flings a small rock, into the Asalamiri zone, strikes Mara's hand and her blaster falls to the ground. Luke sparks his lightsaber, tells Mara to get behind the X-Wing, deftly shatters a couple more flying rocks with the laser blade. Uh, then Kabaoth casts the lightning from his hands, which, uh, of course, disappears once it enters the Asalamiri zone, but Luke has stepped out of that zone, uh, so he parries it with his lightsaber. Mara fumbles with her blaster and grabs it, but before she can get a shot off, everyone is stunned by this brilliant flash of laser fire, so everyone's eyes are again dazzled. It was R2-D2 firing the X-Wing's lasers. And he managed to, uh, I guess, you know, sort of get a, a, a close hit on the ground that uh, the shock waves from that blast from the X-Wing laser knocked Kabayoth down and knocked him out. 
Man, speaking of blazing up, uh, there's a part where Mara Jade is uh, blinking at the purple haze. <laughs> That's right. Oops. I think I think Timothy was telling us something in this chapter. I think uh, I think he's he's a bluntsman. He's uh yeah that's uh that that's definitely a theory. I mean, whoops among us hasn't sparked up a fat doob and gone to the chocolate fountain at the Sizzler in Tampa. You know what I'm saying? Uh, anyway, yeah, he, he he's probably a he's probably a big fan of the the Grateful Dead, if you know what I mean. <laughs> we'll we'll find out if like if like uh, one of the Ewoks shows up looking like one of those fucking teddy bears. <laughs> one of those Grateful Dead teddy bears. That would be pretty good. Uh, I'm sure that exists as a t-shirt in some godforsaken beachside gift shop. If so, uh, send it to Daniel's address. Yeah, please mail it to Daniel's address, uh, uh, Stinkton, Alabama. It'll it'll find me. It'll get here. Um, this is the only bald man in Stinkton. They'll know who he is. They'll they'll know they'll know who you're looking for. Uh, Mara is ready to just dome this dude while he's helpless. Uh, Luke stays Mara's hand. He's still holding out hope that he can help heal him in some way. Um, I love has... how Luke just concluded that it's like, no, he's not evil. He's just mentally ill. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's you know he's one of those bleeding hearts. You know, he doesn't have the stomach to do what needs to be done. Kabayoth was right. He also does make the good point that like uh, after after uh, Mara Jade says he sounded just like the Emperor and Vader used to. Uh, Luke kind of smugly goes, "Well, uh, Vader was deep in the dark side too. He was able to break that hold and come back." Yeah, for like five minutes. <laughs> it's yeah. really... Not to kill the emperor and like uh, cause everything to crash down around him. Yeah, he ma- he managed Came to have a, a uh, ghost. Yeah, he managed to he managed to have a deathbed conversion. I'm not so sure that's all that handy, you know. Um, but he asked what the deal with Card was again, and uh, so uh, Mara says the Grand Admiral's taken him. I need your help to get him out. She braced herself for the inevitable argument and bargaining, but to her surprise, he simply nodded and stood up. Okay, he said, "Let's go." I I love the constant uh, the constant uh, Mara Jade thinking that Luke has a much richer interior <laughs> life than he actually does. It's like, oh man, this is gonna spark a a, a long argument about about whether or not to uh, uh, to save Talon Card from the Admiral. It's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> Just yeah. absolute dummy. Yep, just uh, just just the most just the gu- most guileless person you ever met in your life. Um, R two is gonna pilot Luke's X wing back to Coruscant. Uh, Mara and Luke share the cramped accommodations of the Skip Ray blast boat. Uh, Luke feels her simmering hatred through the Force, but also that it's under control. You know, lucky him. Mara sketches out the plan. Uh, the Chimera is scheduled to take on supplies at Wistril four days from now, which gives them enough time to get there at least a few hours ahead, and be waiting for it. Then they'll steal a supply shuttle to get on board. From there, who knows? But as Luke says, we've got four days to think about it. And that's the end of our section today. There, there was a good uh, interior monologue moment from Luke where he's like, you can feel Mara Jade's hatred of him simmering beneath her conscience like a half-burned fire. Which, I mean, what's a half-burned fire? Uh, no clue. It's I, either yeah. it's either burning or it's not. But anyway, 
Uh, it evoked unpleasant memories of the Emperor, the man who'd been Mara's teacher. Uh, thanks for reminding us of that. And Luke uh-huh. briefly wondered if this could be some sort of overly elaborate trick to lure him to his death. And it was like, well, don't you think, like, at this point, Mara could have just say, hey, look over there and just whomp him over the back of the head? Like, how, <laughs> how elaborate does, like, trying to kill him have to be at this point? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, uh, Ronnie, I wanted to, I wanted to say, uh, the, so we were talking about the, the phrase mentally crossing his fingers. Um, I just want you to know that it was used two times in just this one section we were just talking about within, within five pages of each other. (laughs) And it was, it's the same, it's the same sequence too. Do better, Betsy. It was used twice in between the time Mara arrived at Jomark. She mentally crossed her fingers. And then when she was trying to land the ship, she mentally crossed her fingers. That's terrific. Uh, but anyway. Uh, oh, I there's mean, just one more thing in this chapter that I want to highlight. Oh, um, sure. They talk about, they talk, uh, Marjane and, and uh, Luke talk about like how, uh, remember that time Luke totally blew up the first Death Star? Uh, insert uh, clip from Star Wars here. Uh, and he's like, uh, and, and, uh, let's see, uh, I don't imagine the Emperor was pleased, Luke murmured. No, he wasn't, Mara said, her voice dark with memories of her own. Vader nearly died for that blunder. Also, calling it a blunder seems a bit of an understatement. Again, uh, that's, that's shades of, uh, Luke asking for pointers about how to train Jedi. Also, deliberately, she looked over at Luke's hands. That was when he lost his right hand, in fact. I'm thinking... Okay, is that, like, new information that Darth Vader used to have a human hand, but then he lost it after he fucked up the whole Death Star thing? Uh, I... I, No clue. No clue. It seems like an unnecessary flourish, because I thought that, like, I would... The only thing I know is is, uh, the prequels, and those are exculpatory, uh, but... Like, I kind of assumed that he was, like, mostly robot at this point. Yeah, He was, like, maybe a torso. Yeah, his limbs had been all kind of burned away. Yeah. Also, just the idea of the Emperor punishing him by making a cyborg even more of a cyborg. He's like, yeah, you don't have your hand anymore. (laughs) Your favorite hand, yeah. It does seem, again... Like choice. if if you're if you're like Darth Vader cutting off Luke Skywalker's hand, that's a big deal because it's like holy shit, I lost my hand. If you cut off Darth Vader's hand, it's like, well, now I'm down to like uh, a couple nipples, a head, and uh, <laughs> maybe some toes, and uh, one of my butt cheeks. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what's left of me. Anyway, that's all I had to say about uh, this. Is, uh, this chapter no that's great i i think we can we can bask in the glow of having gone this entire time without having to say one fucking word about nogri except root doing that chokehold uh it's pretty pretty terrific and also and like Rock, a lot of... uh, beating uh marjade's ass right 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 yeah uh but uh yeah a lot of uh, rich with incident this whole thing was we got a little bit more uh insight into how Kabeoth thinks of himself and the Jedi and those around him. Uh, Mara Jade, her complicated sort of nested loyalties, really mucking things up for her. And she thought, hey, she thought she was the smartest person around, could play all these people off each other. But guess who got played this time? Mara Jade did. 
And uh, she didn't get played really easily just by virtue of the fact that Joris Kabeath can read people's minds. <laughs> yeah, that like kind of gives the game away if you're like trying to play all sides against each other for your own benefit. It's like, yeah, I. I read your mind. So, I read your mind, sorry, so you don't honey. have, uh, yeah, this we don't have anything. You got nothing here. Yeah. I, I read the previous chapters of this book, honey. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a Zong completist. I, I read the manuscript pages as he turns them into Betsy, okay? I know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's kind of funny how, like, so, this book is still, like, uh, it's, we're, we're well over halfway through the, uh, the trilogy, uh, considering we're more than halfway through the second book. And yeah. it's still, we're still, like, spitting incident out of, like, main characters of the cast meeting each other for the first time. And I'm I'm wondering, like, when will Zahn run out of these combinations? Like, like is he is he just looking at, like, uh, chapter 25 at his typewriter? It's like, well, what if uh, Winter met uh, Mara Jade? And what if uh, <laughs> Admiral Akbar? Had to play a uh, 3D chess with Chewbacca and also Rock. Yeah, yeah. What if uh, what if Captain Peleon uh, ended up having uh, you know a, a sort of a a little powwow with uh, Senator Bernie Iblis? You know. Yeah. Why not? I think yeah, that'd be long. It, it is interesting, like how you you don't think about it uh, really unless you like realize that like. We went three chapters and we didn't see like Han Solo or Lando or Leia or Chewie or C-3PO or, or, or so many of these main characters. It's like yeah. they can go long swaths without, without having to deal with them. Yeah. And I just think that's kind of interesting. Well, I, I'm realizing now that like, so in my recollection of these books, I remember Dark Force Rising as being the Mara Jade one. Like, in my recollection of it, that was the one that seemed really Mara Jade heavy. And I think I must have been remembering this segment of the book. Because it's it's just Mara Jade the entire time. We're following Mara Jade's story as she intersects with all the other guys in all, all these three chapters. Um, so, that, which is kind of strange given how, like, absent she had been for, like, you know, the, the first half of the book. And then it's all, all of a sudden the Mara Jade show. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll I feel see where like it there's goes. probably a, there's probably a way for Zahn to have staggered these characters better, but you yeah. know, I guess we just have to work with what we're given. And what I'm we're just given, happy we don't have to deal with the Nogri planet. Yeah, we're, what we're given is a reprieve from the Nogri planet. So uh, in that respect, five stars. I give this section of the book five stars. Uh, it's my favorite so far. Every time I think that we're exaggerating our hatred of the Nogri planet, I just think about like their circuitous conversations about honor, and I just like, no, like, fuck no. them. If anything, we've been too they, easy they, on them. They, they're a bunch of idiots that got duped by Darth Vader because he like fucking had an oil for food program. <laughs> Now I wouldn't, I would, Ronnie. I would. We, now we have directly compared the situation with the Nogri and the Empire to actual real-world uh, predatory lending by the IMF to developing countries. So I, I would not want you to think of say Jamaica as a as just a bunch of stupid people who got tricked. It was, but no, it's it's okay to be racist against space people. So yeah, it's that's true. Well, that's what that's what Han Solo taught me. Uh, 
But uh, anyway, I mean, that's why that's why people write. Uh, that's why people write sci-fi. It's partially so they can vent their prejudices through fictional <laughs> characters. Well, I don't know if it's come up on this uh, on this podcast before, but have I ever told you about? I think I have told you about the uh, absolutely stupendous satirical novel, The Iron Dream, by Norman Spinrad. This was Klingon a, drivers. Am I right? Uh, yeah, this was a, so Norman Spinrad wrote this. It was in the late '60s. It came out, and the the premise is that the book that you're reading is a science fiction novel written by. Adolf Hitler from an alternate universe where he stuck with illustrating but emigrated to the United States after the First World War and became a science fiction illustrator and from there broke into science fiction writing. And so it's his science fiction novel, which is this incredible thinly veiled racist diatribe. And it's really it's thing, really the, hilarious. The thing is though, like Hitler's racism, that's like only about half as racist as sci fi as a whole. Like, well, he yeah, would, he uh, would stand out. It'd be like you know, middle of the pack. Well, that was kind of that was kind of Norman Spinrad's point in writing it is kind of making a uh, a bit of a statement on the the latent fascism which lay in much of the genre. But this is not this is not a science fiction literary history podcast. No, 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 no. Far. No, from the only it. history we care about is the uh, heady days of 1991. That's right. And do you know what was cool in 1991? Home video, that's right. Rentals, video rentals. And do you know what was even cooler with video rentals? Oh, you know what? I, should, I shouldn't even introduce the topic. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thronderdome, the debate podcast. Or rather, I should say the segment into the Thronderdome, which is, uh, of course, the segment of the podcast where you can tell I'm sick. Ronnie, so this is how you know that I really don't feel well. I got all mixed up. I got my, 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 He's got my pod wires flu, crossed. Folks. I got the pod flu. I have the COVID. I got Master Kabayoth brain fog, and uh, I didn't introduce into the Thronderdome properly. I don't even. I don't even have it in me to do a long, convoluted purple prose introduction. But folks, we're going to argue about something. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a twist? It turns out like you're actually suffering from from uh, reading this book, and it's giving you uh, it's giving Kabayothism. Oh my god! It probably is. But that. But we're not going to. That's, gonna that's think a about... pre- that's a premise for like a not very good like. A uh, sci-fi short story about like a, a sci-fi novel that makes you sick. Yeah, yeah, no, that that would be pretty good. That would be a good uh, episode of like the uh, the Outer Limits reboot from the nineties, or uh, or Black Mirror. You yes. got to make it about like you know it's a it's a book that you read on your phone, right? Right. Oi, what if you read a book on your phone? It made you sick. What? Yeah. What? What? What if that? Um, what What do yeah. they call books in England? Uh, Chazwazers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we are going to argue here on the debate segment of Into the Thronderdome about uh, full screen format on home video versus uh, letterbox format in uh, in home video. And you know, and it's about t- it's very timely because, of course, this is something that comes up uh, all the time anymore. Aspect ratios and all that kind of stuff. Um, now we had we have actually previously determined. Sometimes we don't know who's taking what side, but before we were talking before the show, we were in the chat, and I am a staunch partisan of the full screen, so I will be uh, arguing for them. But but Ronnie, courtesy demands, I offer you the, uh, the 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 first salvo here. Sell me, why don't you on widescreen? Why why should I bother with widescreen format home video in my VHS well, because selections? It's it's the correct aspect ratio. I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. films are, are shown in widescreen. They're not shown in 4.3. They're 16.9. So 
if you want a, a, a home theater experience that's as close to to uh, a theatrical experience as possible, you got you got to go with widescreen, dude. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I would counter with that by saying, you know, those black bars really waste a lot of space. I mean, they're covering up the image. Yeah, but if you go with you know, full screen, you just pan and scan, you look like an idiot. You, you look like an old person. No, yeah, Which yeah. I guess well, for you, you are an old person, so. Look, 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 buddy. I don't have a lot of time to decide what to look at, okay? I don't have a lot of time to sit here and take in a full field of vision, all right? I want my movies to look like some really awkwardly uh, framed close-ups. I don't want to see the sets, I don't want to see the sets around me. I just want to look at the actors' faces and kind of slowly, weirdly pan from one to the other. That, I think, is the true cinematic experience. Well, I would argue that, that widescreen has been vindicated by history because try to find a DVD nowadays in full screen. You can't because uh, the home video market realized that the only people that bought full screen DVDs were idiots and uh, ignorant people. Uh, and uh, true connoisseurs of uh, of great films such as uh, Lost in Space or Sphere uh, can only enjoy them in uh, in their original uh, theatrical exhibition aspect ratio. Well, I would counter there that uh, fools and ignorant people are the bedrock of the home video uh, uh, industry, really. And if uh, and if you're someone who wants to truly experience, say, uh, you know what, uh, uh, evolution or uh, white squall as it was meant to be seen, uh, that is, you know, on a cathode ray tube in a four three format, then you're going to have to go with full screen. I feel like the the whole. As, as a side note, I would argue that uh, evolution was not meant to be seen. <laughs> well, neither was Lost in Space, but I wanted to meet—I wanted to meet you on the field of battle. Come on, um, Lost in Space has Gary Oldman become a giant spider creature. Where the fuck else are you going to see that Churchill movie I do love, that he did? No, I do love that uh, Lost in Space was the second feature film where Matt LeBlanc gets a monkey sidekick. I uh, yeah, I did appreciate that, was, that, that was a dark time for cinema when Matt LeBlanc was allowed to be in movies. Uh, yeah, he just could not, could not make that leap. I, I, w- I would stress though, I would stress, you know, you talk about like how you can't find full, you know, full screen, uh, uh, DVDs anymore. Um, and the problem there is that the, the freaking TV manufacturers have been taken in by this widescreen supremacy. And so all the TVs that they make are now in the, that widescreen format, but that's ruining TV. Cause you see, if you watch, if you watch friends on the streaming services, you see the ends of the sets. We were never supposed to see that stuff. You see, now you that, see is, where the... that is that is where we can actually come to an agreement. I do yeah. believe that that four three is the superior format for sitcoms because if you go widescreen with say uh, uh, Simpsons episodes that were uh, they were uh, made with four three in mind, or or Seinfeld episodes, uh, they look wildly different if they're forced to be in widescreen than if not and oftentimes actual jokes are ruined by uh not adhering to the full screen four three uh aspect ratio exactly and since movies and tv are the exact same thing 
I think we should standardize on 4.3 format and make everything pan and scan. I think we could come to a better compromise in which uh, uh, home video should try to uh, achieve the closest to the original aspect ratio as possible. So that means, you know, segregate the full screens to the TV shows and let uh, the movies have widescreen. I see, but then see, but then you're just introducing more black bars when I'm watching my TV shows, and I can't have that. You're, you're chopping off the other the half of the thing. Sorry, I'm re- I'm really just, you're like I'm a chan- child that refuses <laughs> to eat vegetables. I'm just channeling. I'm just channeling my time as a as a blockbuster representative associate, and people complaining about uh, widescreen because they literally did think it was just like they put black things over the top and bottom of the shot so that you saw less of the movie. It was so incredible. I tried to explain it so many times, but no one would ever get it. It's some classic uh, Daniel Deep lore of when he worked for Blockbuster. That's right. That's that's how you know I'm a 40-year-old man is because I had a I had a high school job at Blockbuster. But uh in any case, all those mom and pop video stores so you could sell uh you could rent out 40 copies of Scream 2. Look, look, look. Yes, that video store location used to be Video Express, a local chain, but that devouring happened well before I ever worked there, all right? I, I can't be held responsible for that. Uh, in any case... Well, Remember well, now you're just posting those goddamn memes about, like, don't you remember what it was like to go to Blockbuster on a Friday night looking for movies? I'm a <laughs> millennial. <laughs> Don't you know what it was like going to to Blockbuster on Friday night and and sheepishly looking at the covers of the uh, of the erotic thrillers and hoping your mom didn't catch you? Literally, just like remember when you were a child. It's like so transparent. (laughs) Remember, remember when you were ten and didn't know how to pay taxes? Yeah, remember when you didn't know who Warren Christopher was? (laughs) I still don't know who Warren Christopher is. Was he a Supreme Court justice? Secretary of Defense under Clinton, I believe. Oh, all right. Well, look at that, Ronnie. You you outpoliticsed me, which really I, I think you actually do that a lot. You 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 know more about the the deep bench of ghouls. Oh, sorry, he was do. Secretary of State. I, I apologize. Oh, ouch. Okay, well, that's negative points in that case. Daniel remains the champion of knowing about politics, uh, and with that, we'll conclude I don't our think debate. That, we're gonna have to overhaul <laughs> this whole point system bullshit because I never agreed to it. Well, you may never have agreed to it, but that's the way it's going to be, because that's America. And that's also the end of the podcast. Um, yeah, we better wrap this up, because although a lot of it's been cut out, uh, Daniel is uh, is circling the drain at this point. I am really... I'm in my general grievous era, to put it in terms our audience can understand. It's uh, it's not going great. Oh yeah, but, the, uh, the coughing robot. The, the coughing the robot. One of the creations of uh, George Lucas. Yeah, he's got the, well, he had the, the wheezing robot, who was the enemy, and then the coughing robot, who was the other enemy. Uh, and then the gay robot, who was a hero. So, you know. Yeah, so it's like robots plus lung problems equals dollar signs. Equals dollar signs. And, and that concludes, our, that concludes our, uh, our, our, our exhaustive analysis of the Star Wars intellectual property. Good night, everyone. Into the podcast. Ah, just kidding. Now we'll be back. We'll be back next time to uh, wow, getting into the home stretch with Dark Chapters Horse Rising twenty two through twenty four. 
That's right. And then uh, just a couple, just a couple more episodes after that, we'll be done with Dark Force Rising. I can hardly believe it. It and better not all we'll be, be Nogri uh, stuff. I'll be so and pissed. Then we'll be, uh, then we'll be doing uh, the the vaunted uh, Star Wars fan film, not to be confused with a Star Wars fan film, Fanboys. <laughs> yeah, the the film about Star Wars fans. Fanboys. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be our interseason bonus episode, which I am already dreading. I'm also saying it on the air so Daniel can't back out of it at a later date. Our when our he, legion re, when he realizes the enormity of the task that befalls him. Our uh, our our legions of fans will will turn on me like uh, like the Swifties have turned on Taylor for dating some crappy guy from a, a bad band. Uh, if I don't follow through with watching fanboys. If you've but, ever wanted uh, to see uh, Jay Baruchel sex to 12-year-old, uh, you can uh, watch uh, fanboys. Oh, God. All right, well, we all <laughs> have Ernest that. Ernest Klein, folks. Ernest got... Klein. No way. Ooh. Now, Ready Player One's Ernest Klein? Yes. Oh, Armada's that, Ernest that Klein? Was... I, it predates his uh, forays into the to the great American novel, I believe. That is so... Now that's interesting. All right, now I'm going to have more fun with this than I thought, although I still don't like the idea of what you just said. I think you're throwing around, around the word fun a bit uh, freely. <laughs> well, I mean, also my idea of fun is, is reading scientific papers about uh, extinct rat monsters. So, you know, t- take everything I say with a grain of salt. That's anyway, true. yeah. But we'll wrap up for today and uh, join us again next time for the next portion of Dark Force Rising. And uh, with that, have a have a thronderful day, everyone. Uh, I have been your uh, host. Next, ne- next episode, uh, Daniel may or may not be in an iron lung. I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll be in. I'll be. Uh, I'll be like that. Uh, that guy who wrote the bell. The bell and the butterfly. Uh, I'll be I'll be blinking my contributions to the next episode, and uh, and and Ronnie will have to laboriously write them out. So well, anyway, well, uh, next episode is going to be like bad news, folks. Uh, Daniel's now a bubble boy, but uh, the podcasting equipment is outside his bubble. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and and who knows? Maybe I'll have a fascinating new ailment instead of just regular dying from the ones I already have. Anyway, I'm trying to say good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, Ronnie. Good night. We'll see y'all later.